So Genesis chapter 2, begin at verse 18. Hear the word of God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make uh, him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, it was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves away from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree, and I ate. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The curse continues to the woman and to the man and ends with them being cast out of the garden. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
So if we're talking about sexual perversion, then I just say, what, what different ways do we, do we mean that term? A lot of different things that you could say or different ways to describe it or get at the idea of it. Um, when I was thinking about it, there's one particular quote that stands out to my mind um, from some old uh, movie. Apparently it's also in uh, Sex and the City. At one point, Samantha gives this comment. Uh, she says, I'm a trisexual. Trisexual? What's a, what's, I heard of a bisexual. What's, what's a trisexual? The answer comes. Uh, sexually, I'll try anything. <laughs> um, I think in a lot of ways we live in a, a trisexual culture, uh, maybe a trisexual campus. There's such a longing for satisfaction and fulfillment um, that, we're, that we're looking for that any way that we can find it. We'll try anything in order to, in order to grasp that. Any time, any way, uh, with anyone, whenever or, or, or whatever, um, as long as it's a mutual consensual. That's like the one thing we usually you know, put in there still. Um, so sometimes that's maybe looking for the, the next girl that you're going to meet. Maybe that's going to be where that satisfaction is, the next guy uh, that you're with, or something more extreme or more intense or more kinky or, or, or whatever. Um, but we live in this kind of trisexual culture. It's, it's a twisting, a, a turning of, of from what the original design this God's given. Um, so, so why are we even like that? Why is there that idea, um, that, that, that behavior, this trisexual uh, culture? Maybe there's various ways to explain it. Um, uh, some would say maybe, maybe that's all that sex is. It's just a physical thing that we get to experience. Uh, there's been shackles of tradition around us, but we can get rid of that and just find different ways of how it, how it works for you, what's, uh, what's beneficial for you. Uh, maybe others would say, maybe we don't know what to do with sex. Maybe we're looking for meaning in a certain way, and that's why we're going from one thing to another. We haven't found it, and we're looking. Uh, another thought is, is maybe we don't like the meaning of sex. Maybe there's actually a rebellion to it, right? If Scripture is saying that sex is, is for within the context of marriage, and, um, and you're not married and you want sex, well then, okay, well, is it just a rebellion away from those things? Those are constrictions uh, placed upon us that maybe we don't want. Um, but, but then if we're looking at it that way, sexual perversion doesn't always come with those strong moral overtones we often think of it as. Uh, if you're thinking of it as a, as a trisexual culture, um, then it's just as easily seen as a good thing. Uh, it's often something that's found, found appealing. If there's the opportunity for a sexual partner who will try anything, uh, a lot of people are very excited about that. Um, so, so I think sometimes we even have to ask the question, is there such a thing as sexual perversion? Can we, can we call some things sexually right and other things are, are wrong and, and shouldn't be done? And if so, what's the basis for that? Is this just my preferences or your preferences or old values versus new values? Uh, can we really say that there is such a thing? And if there is, more importantly, I want us to ask, how then does God deal with the sexually perverted? By which I mean, how does he deal with us? Uh, right? Um, so as we get through this, we're just going to take like different sections of the passage and go through it. And I want you to ask yourself, what does God think about my sexual actions and sexual desires? And, and then with him knowing that, what do we think that God thinks of us? What does God think of my desires, my actions, and what does God think of me? So taking the first part in chapter 2, um, uh, first point, original sexual perfection, right? Uh, in chapter 2, what we see is God's original design uh, for sex. It was, a, 
it was an original sexual perfection that existed between Adam and Eve. Um, not, not to encourage uh, fantasy here, right? But, but Eve had the, the perfect body. She was, she was the perfect ten. And when Adam looked at her, um, he, was, he was delighted with her. And Eve could look at him and see his, uh, his enjoyment of her, that she belonged to him, that he belonged uh, to her. And his love for her wasn't just about her body. It was who she was. She got to experience a perfect love from him that she was cherished and valued and known and cared for. And, and, and likewise, it's mutual. Same way as, as Eve looks at Adam. Uh, she sees the man that she admires and respects and loves and adores and wants to be with. And there was, there was nothing in the original design, there was nothing that, that gets in the way of that. Um, it was an original sexual uh, perfection. Uh, we said before, like, who came up with the idea of, of sex, of incredible, mind-blowing, satisfying, fulfilling sex? Like, that's God's idea. Um, you, you see that uh, here, uh, especially in verse 18. This is God's idea for sex in creation. He's creating uh, humanity, and it comes to verse 18, and God says, all these things have been, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. And you come to verse 18, and God says, it's not good. There's, there's something lacking here. It's not good for the, for the man to be alone. I, I want to make for him a helper who's fit with him. This, this word's really rich. It's this, uh, it's this uh, someone who's, who's corresponding to him and fit uh, for him in every way. Uh, uh, this, this, this helper, however you translate, this person who's corresponding to him, his, his soulmate, uh, his companion. Uh, that he longs for and, and desires, who's, fit for, who's a fit for him uh, not only physically, um, but also emotionally uh, and mentally and socially and spiritually and in every way. As the story goes on, then, then God brings all the animals before Adam and he's naming them, all the different kind of things that God's made, right? Uh, um, can appreciate that Adam's not trisexual. That's not what's going on. There's a building of anticipation as he's looking for a companion. He's looking for who's who. What's right for me? What do I need? What kind of relationship? Um, and, and you can notice his lack of satisfaction when you get to uh, verse 20. But for Adam, it was not found a helper fit for him. He, he, he's seen all of God's creation. He's still waiting. What he longs for hasn't been met. And then the Lord uh, God himself creates the woman that Adam wants and longs for and needs. Uh, and what was not good now becomes very good. Right? As, as it tells it puts uh, Adam uh, deep, in a deep sleep and the Lord comes to him and takes one of his ribs uh, and fashions it into a woman. And so when Adam wakes up from his sleep, uh, here is God presenting Eve to him, his perfect match in every way, uh, and his heart overflows, uh, and even in poetry uh, to her, his, you can hear his excitement, his satisfaction, what he'd been longing for, he goes, at last, at last I've found what's a fit for me, this companion, my soulmate, my love, at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Uh, Matthew Henry comments on this and says, uh, uh, She was not made out of his head in order to rule him, nor out of his feet uh, to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm uh, to be protected, 
and near his heart uh, to be loved. God brings her to uh, to Adam, and he is delighted uh, with her. Um, And I always say when I read this passage, like, you know what has to happen next at this point. Like, they're they're, they're the perfect match for one another. They found one another. God brings her to them. This is the marriage ceremony, and you know what happens after the marriage ceremony. That's that's when the rest of the relationship commences and begins and, and carries on. Um, and so the voice of the narrator comes in to say, let me tell you what this is about. Uh, for this reason, for the reason of, this, uh, of how God has designed man and woman to be together in this intimate love relationship, uh, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, his parents, their other relationships, and hold a fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, we've Look at that expression, or one of the uh, first couple of weeks in REFTC. That's, that's even a sexual expression that's being used, a sexual image of the two uh, becoming one flesh. This is what it's about. This was God's design. This was high idea. This, this perfect, intimate, fully enjoyed, original sexual perfection. Um, and it's here, as uh, Ephesians 5 reflects back on this, one of the passages I have for you in there, uh, that, that Paul's referring to when he says, this mystery is profound, this one flesh relationship is profound, I'm saying, that refers to Christ and the church. It, it's here, even before sin enters in, in this original design, that it points to the relationship that, that the church gets to enjoy with Jesus. This is, the, this is the kind of love with which Jesus loves us. And the relationship that he is drawing his people into, away from our sin and, uh, and to him, is what we're being restored to. Um, and you got to notice verse 25 in particular. Uh, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Ah, right, for perfection. There's no, there's, no, there's, there's no shame there. Everything was right and pure. At this point, there was no perversion. Um, they can look at each other's bodies uh, with trust and with openness and, and receive love and enjoyment and, and not, uh, um, not insecurity, not, not shame, none of these things. They were, they were both sexual and innocent, uh, perfectly uh, in both. Right? This, is, this is what we desire. This is what we long for uh, because that's how God made us, what we made us long for. That's what sex is for. Um, and this is God's original sexual perfection. But the passage goes on, and it doesn't always stay that way. It only lasts a couple pages in the Bible, and then here we are. We get into Genesis chapter 3. Um, so we move from the first point to the second point. Original sexual perfection, uh, and then secondly, sin and sexual perversion. Uh, in Genesis 3, what we see is sin and perversion. And we, we see the first sin come. And we see uh, the fall and the consequences of sin. Um, now, I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of sexual perver- per- perversion, like how you use that category. Maybe you think of the, all the, the extreme things, necrophilia, bestiality, or some such thing. And yes, those are, uh, those are uh, perversions. Or Some things are debated, right? Some people are going to say that's, that's wrong, and other th- people are going to say, no, I think that's actually fine. Um, whether that's sex outside of mar- marriage or uh, different partners at different times you know, through your life or multiple partners at the same time or homosexual or bisexual or masturbation or pornography or what all different things. Um, maybe some of the things that sometimes are called perverted are things that you've experienced more, whether that's just lust or masturbation or pornography or oral sex or 
touching or heavy, uh, heavy kissing or, or dry humping or what have you, right? Um, all, all these things get, uh, get thrown in. Uh, here the Bible tells us what sexual perversion. It defines it for us. It lays out the categories because it's given us, here's the original. And it says anything that twists and turn that, turns that away from it, what its design was, that's, that's what perversion means. Right? That's a perversion. That's a perversion of it. Um, anything outside of intimate, uh, marital, love, relationship, a husband and wife is, is a perversion. Um, so, yes, sleeping around, according to the Bible, is perverted. Uh, masturbation also would be perverted. Homosexuality, multiple partners, foreplay outside of marriage, uh, even, even sex in marriage without that loving intimacy uh, expressed in the relationship is in ways of perversion. So when we look at Genesis 3, what we do is we hear that what we hear is the story of how perversion entered in um, and what what came with it in terms of its consequences. Uh, I want you to get all, all sin is perversion. Right? It's a twisting and a turning of the way things are supposed to be. Um, it's what the, what the, all, all sin is. Um, so as you look at Genesis 3, it speaks of this uh, serpent, more crafty than any other uh, beast of the field, right? And we kind of pick up from other scripture, or even from this passage, that, that here is uh, Satan, the accuser, uh, the liar, Satan in the, in the form of a serpent. And he comes to, to twist uh, God's words and even to contradict it, right? He starts off saying a little, little twist from what God had actually said. He says, did God actually say you can't eat of any of these trees in the garden? Right? God said there's one tree, you can't eat from everything, <clears throat> everything else to enjoy. He says, God actually say you can't eat, eat of anything? Uh, and as the woman responds, he comes out in just blatant contradiction to it. You won't surely die. God's holding out on you. There's something good that this thing offers that you want to experience. And God's, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want to give it to you. He doesn't want to let you enjoy the things that he enjoys. You'll actually be like God uh, if, you, if you take of this. So then there's Eve, and she's got God's voice of what he's told her. There's this one fruit of this one tree not to eat, and Satan's voice saying, actually, this is what's good for you. This is what's going to work out for you. And so she decides, she sits back and goes, well, well who, what do I think? Am I going to agree with God? Am I going to agree with Satan? How do, how do I look at it? And she looks at the tree. She inspects it. She says, hey, this thing is... It's desirable to make one wise. It looks like it's good for fruit. Um, and she decides to disobey the one thing, the one thing God had told them not to do. Um, she takes the fruit and eats, gives it to her husband who is with her, and he eats. Um, and their relationship from there on in the, in the story and all the way through the rest of our experience goes downhill uh, because they rebelled together. Um, this, this first sin was a relational uh, sin together against God. And what we see from their relationship from then on is, is guilt and shame, uh, hiding from God, from one another, uh, blame shifting and brokenness that just gets worked out in deeper and deeper brokenness. Uh, right? Once they, once they eat of the tree, it says in verse 7, the eyes of them were, both were open and they knew they were naked. 
been naked before, but now there's now there's something different. Now they've now they can now they know that they're that they're evil, that they've done evil, and they, they see that there's nothing to protect them from it. There's a there's a shame. Before they were naked and unashamed, but now they're naked and ah, right? I, I, I I'm exposed. Um, I, I just love the past. Like they go and they get fig leaves to sew together. Um, I mean, I guess you get a little bit of coverage in fig leaves, so that's, you know, worth something. But uh, those aren't like smooth, silky, you know, fabrics or anything to go with. Um, and my point is to say, we tr- when we feel ashamed, we'll try, it, we'll try to cover it up with anything. We'll make excuses. Uh, we'll, we'll blame. We'll t- turn to someone else. We'll change the circumstances. We'll, we'll go someplace else. Uh, but we'll use anything, even if it doesn't work very well, to cover up. If we feel like, uh, if, if we feel uh, noticed in our shame, if we feel exposed. Um, before, when they can look at one another with trust and love, that trust is gone. Um, she doesn't trust the way Adam looks at her. Uh, Adam doesn't trust what Eve uh, thinks of him. And as they hear God's voice uh, in the garden, what do they do? They hide. Um, they don't want to do their devotions. <laughs> They don't want to open their Bible in the morning and then be in this intimate relationship with God now because they know what they've done. You know, there's other stuff going on. They don't want to wake up Sunday morning after Saturday night to, to go to... Here's God meeting with them in the garden. It's God's presence. This is, what, this is the fullness of life and experience with Him uh, in this relationship. And they're hiding from Him. God calls it out and says, where are you? And there's more to the question than just the location. Um, and then you see their answer just a few verses earlier, right? Adam is like, Eve, at last, woman that I love. And now, what happened? The woman, right? It was the woman. It was her. She's the one that did it. She, it was the woman that you gave to me. That's what messed everything up. She gave it to me, uh, and, and, and then I ate. Can you imagine your, your Eve right there? You're like, you were right there with me. Uh, like, why are you? Uh, that does not create a healthy uh, relationship from, from that point on. Um, she comes to ask uh, Eve, and she says, the serpent deceived me. And then I ate. It's blame shifting all the way around. we got excuses all day long for the things that we do, for the things that we want to do that we didn't really want to do. It just happened this, this way, right? Um, you can see how easily we relate uh, to the story, how easily we connect with it. Um, I remember when Daphne was like two years old, um, and I was, I was reading her the story, um, and uh, when she heard that they did what they weren't supposed to do, you know, she was already like, you know, you're a two-year-old, and you're like, oh, that's bad. And then when she heard that they were like hiding, I could just like watch her face go, oh, like, like this is about me. That's what I do every time that I see them. Um, you know, when you're two, you don't know how to, you know, like uh, hide your um, what you think like that. But I think well, we we still think that way. We relate to it. We hear how this story is about us. It's about our day. It's about our week. It's about our weekend. It's about the things that we do, the way that we live. Um, what follows is the curse, this experience of a sin and its consequences. Um, they're cast out of the garden, uh, away from God, blaming one another, fighting with one another. Um, perversion doesn't work well. Doesn't doesn't help out. It doesn't deliver uh, what it promises. Um, guilt, shame, hiding, blame shifting, brokenness, even cursed. 
Um, if you look at Romans 1, I've got just like the first little verse from Romans 1.18. You can read it all the way through uh, into chapter 2, into chapter 3, where it goes out and says, No one's righteous, no, not one, which... I take to, as my example to say, we're all perverted uh, because it says that. Um, but, it, but it spells out further what, what sin and perversion looks like. Um, it says the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness from men. And it talks about um, the fact that we haven't always worshipped God with the worship that he deserved. We found other things and given our life to that. And it goes into various different sides of sexual immorality. And goes into, but then it lists like all these sins, including things like gossip and disobedience to parents. And throws it all in. And then in uh, chapter 2, the first verse says, Therefore, having seen that God's shown us what's wrong and judged what, what, what our wrongness is, um, it says, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, because you've done the same thing. It's saying this is about all of us. This is how we've turned God's original design and perverted it, uh, moved it toward, toward other things. Um, and there's no, there's no us lifting us over other, other people and looking down on them. We're all the same type of wrong or perverted or sinful. So what do we do? Um, and more importantly, what does God do with us? Or in this passage and in the story, uh, what, does God, what does God do with them? So I'll move from the uh, second point to the third point. First, our original sexual perfection, uh, and then we see sin and sexual perversion. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, we see perverts redeemed in Christ. Um, we, see, we see redemption. We see the gospel. Um, we see that God redeems perverts in Christ. He, he buys us back out of our rebellion at the cost of Jesus' blood. He makes that promise uh, in Genesis 3.15. He there delivers that even after we've sinned, even after we've twisted, perverted, screwed all up, uh, that he gives us hope and promise of how he will restore it all. Um, that Jesus experienced the consequences uh, for our wrongs so that we get to receive God's love. That we get to be restored to a relationship with him. Um, so Jesus died for perverts. Um, he died for, for perverts to be forgiven. Uh, that's for us, uh, for, for others. I think sometimes we think about that and then we go, well, is that even possible? If, you've, if you're a pervert, if you've done all these things, then, then you're, just, you're just removed from God. There's no, there's no hope for you. Um, right? Where does your mind go when you ask, what does God think of me? When God knows my sexual acts, my desires, what does God think of me? Um, right? You're, you're right, to, we're right to know that God knows that they're wrong. But, but what does he think of us? Immediately we go to our guilt, to our shame, to our hiding, to blame shifting and brokenness, right? And, and we, we realize all that and we want to run away from God. We want to cover it up with something and say it was someone else's fault, um, right? After the, after the pornography binge on the internet. What's your reaction? I'm going to open my Bible and pray now. Like, I want to see all these encouraging things that, that God says. Not our typical reaction. Um, after, after going too far physically in your relationship, because that's all you'll ever say, right? We went, we went too far physically in our relationship. Uh, then then what, how do you respond? Uh, listen, the gospel says that perverts are redeemed in Christ, that even those moments when we see the ugliness of our sin, we can come and say, let me be found in Jesus and not in my sin. Uh, restore me to your love. I don't deserve it, but you've offered hope. 
Not hope that we won't be sinful. Not hope that we won't actually be bad. That in our like ugliness of our perversion, there he reaches down to us and rescues us in Jesus. That's what the gospel is for us. It means that in our sin we have hope. There's something to look to. And it's not just us being, being good enough. Um, remember a conversation uh, with a student one time who was, uh, I mean, he was just going through real depression even at times and struggling uh, primarily, uh, as he would put it, over, his, uh, over masturbation. He felt that, that uh, he just couldn't get away uh, from that sin. Um, and he would, uh, he, he would just, it would just take him to a very low place. Um, and we talked about it, and we talked about it at different times, and, and eventually he was able to realize that in, that in one sense that, wasn't, that was a problem, but that wasn't the biggest problem. Uh, the, the biggest problem was that, that he believed that his sin, that his sexual sin, was bigger than what Jesus did on the cross. Right? We, we see our sin, and we, we plummet into the depths of despair, and we think, no, there's not really hope for me there. Um, I don't know that if, if I'm this bad that God can really love me, which is to say what Jesus did isn't enough. There has to be something more than that. Um, and the gospel says that's not true. It's because of how ugly and wrong we are that it took Jesus coming, uh, Jesus going through death, through the punishments of hell, because that's how intent God was on rescuing us, on restoring us to salvation uh, in him. Uh, the gospel says we're so messed up that I came, that Christ came to fully forgive all wrongs. Um, it's not that we, like we think that we're, we're messed up and so we can't be forgiven or can't be accept, accepted. The gospel meets us in our sin. Um, the, the last verse that we read, as we read the story, it goes on, uh, but it's, it's Genesis 3.15. Um, it's uh, called the, the, first, uh, the first proclamation of the gospel. We see it there in seed form. We don't... We don't see, it doesn't mention Jesus' name there, it doesn't say some of these things, but it, but it offers this hope. Here's this curse uh, that, that this, this serpent and the seed of that serpent, there's, there's going to be enmity between him and, and humanity, uh, but eventually uh, that serpent and all that he brought will be defeated. Though at the same time, uh, that offspring of the woman will be defeated. See, in chapter 4, that, that Eve is, is looking for this. She's naming her, her uh, son after this. Uh, she's, she's found a man. She's hoping that that's going to be uh, the Messiah. It's, it's proclaimed uh, first uh, here. And we see from the rest of Scripture how much this is pointing us uh, to Jesus. Uh, the offspring of the woman against the offspring of Satan. It's in, it's in Jesus uh, that his heel uh, uh, was crushed while crushing uh, the head of the serpent and the death on the cross. Um, Jesus was crushed on the cross, experiencing the penalty for our perversion. All of it, past, present, future, he's been condemned. And in Jesus' crushing uh, death, um, he destroyed the power of, of the devil. Hebrews puts it that way. He destroyed uh, the power of the devil. Um, and paying the debt and rising from the dead so that we get to have newness of life. We don't end just in the death of sin, but, but raised into in the new fullness of life in Christ that we get to experience through faith in him now. Um, listen, what I want you to see, just even as you look in the passage, God never removed himself entirely from those perverts, Adam and Eve. Uh, yes, he, he removed them from the garden, but did he, he remove himself from them? I know, but continued in relationship with them, offering uh, hope to them. In fact, if you uh, look just after it, uh, 
Um, after the curse, verse uh, 20, the man called his wife Eve because she'd be the mother of all the living. His hope is going to continue uh, until this child is born. Um, and then it says, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. There's something that, that lost its life so these garments of skin can cover over their shame. Um, he doesn't leave them in their shame. He gives them a proper covering, not thick leaves. Um, a more proper cover that represents that something ha- else has to die in order for their uh, shame to be covered. Um, and that's in the death of Jesus, uh, the Lamb of God, that, that we're fully covered. Uh, that our shame is covered. That our guilt is removed. That we're restored into a fullness of relationship uh, with God. He rescues them by his love away from their perversion uh, back to him. Uh, but listen, uh, sexual perversion isn't something that's new to, uh, to our time or our culture um, by any means. If, if, if anything, if you know your history, uh, first century uh, Greco-Roman culture was, if anything, more uh, perverted. Um, and uh, Corinth was one of those places that was, that was particularly so. Uh, temples to the, uh, uh, to, the, to the gods there that were just places of promiscuity, all kind of things. And um, one of the passages I put for you here is uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, that actually is, starts in verse 9 and goes to verse 11. I've got the wrong thing printed on the sheet. But it's 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 to 11. It says, it says this. Do not deceive neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolater, uh, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't stop there. And such were some of you. And you were washed... You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Uh, you can obviously see it there. Uh, shows that God redeems sexual perverts. Um, God redeems and saves our sexual perverts. Some, such were some of you. Uh, do you believe that about yourself? Are, are you okay with that about others? This is who God brings into his family, into relationship with him. Uh, that then if you're there, that's who, who you're with. You can't shun or scorn other perverts uh, when you know that you are, were uh, perverted. Um, but still you see God's power to change you, to draw you out of rebellion and into fellowship and obedience. You're washed. You're sanctified, justified. God makes perverts clean again. Are pure, with nothing to hide anymore, um, because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, God can say of perverts, you're righteous, you're perfect, you've done everything that I've desired, because Jesus is righteous, and we get to share in his perfection. And God can save us still out of our perversion and back into obedience of following him. Gradually, but he works that out by his spirit. He is in the process of sanctifying us. Original sexual perfection, um, and then it turns to sin and sexual perversion. What we see in the gospel is that perverts are redeemed in Christ. Uh, this, is, this is our hope. So, so what, do we, what do we think of sexual perversion? Um, the Bible says there is such a thing as sexual perversion. Um, and they, uh, just like all of our other sins, 
It's an offense to God. It's something that he hates because it's messed up the original way that he's designed it, which is for our good. And God hates it enough to send Jesus to death in hell. Uh, and through Jesus, God can save us from it. He shows his love. In this way, uh, the gospel is for perverts. Uh, the gospel is for sexual uh, perverts. Which is to say, the gospel is for you. Uh, do you realize it, that it's for you? Would you claim Christ, turn away from those things to want uh, what he gives? Listen, there's a deeper satisfaction than, uh, than being a, uh, a trisexual. Um, rather than looking for fulfillment, trying to go from uh, one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, hoping that it satisfies, hoping that it completes you or lasts long enough. Um, I want to challenge you maybe even to try the one thing that you might despise most, but to challenge you uh, to look to Jesus um, for fulfillment of your needs through him, to rest in his power, uh, to love you, to accept you, and to purify you. This passage uh, tells us about the day when sexual perfection was turned into sexual perversion of guilt uh, and shame and death and the brokenness of all its consequences. Uh, but scripture goes on, uh, and it ends in Revelation, speaking of the day uh, when all sexual perversion will be turned into sexual perfection in its fullness, and this relationship with Christ and his bride, the church, being united and brought together uh, for eternity. When Christ returns for the church's bride, where sin is no more and pain is no more, uh, but only intimate relationship of love uh, with the Lord of glory himself. It's the promises of the gospel uh, to us in Christ. Uh, would you pray with me?